Welcome to episode 21 of the Wokish Podcast. This is Ebony. And this is Alma. And this week we are talking about um, the experiences of dating and being in a relationship or marriage while in grad school. Um, but before we get there, we will start with our shout out segment. Yes, and so our first shout out goes to the Baltimore Sun, which is a newspaper in Baltimore. Um, for clapping back and defending Representative Elijah Cummings after Trump tweeted that his district was quote-unquote rat and rodent infested. <laughs> um, so Representative Cummings is, has a history of being a, a civil rights activist. He is in the Baltimore district, um, which is a majority African-American district. And uh, Trump has a uh, large history of attacking um, Congress people of color and so um, and he has attacked Representative Elijah Cummings in the past um, and so the Baltimore Sun responded in an editorial um, basically just going off and calling saying that you know Trump was a liar um, and then my favorite part is they said um, it's better to have a few rats than be one Ooh. referring to Trump as a rat yeah, um, and so a lot of other people have come to Baltimore's defense to say how Baltimore is not um, this like shithole that uh, Trump was um, kind of presenting it to be. Um, and so just shout out, I just thought it was really great that this newspaper took an opportunity not only to defend Representative Cummings, but also to take a stand against the president, basically the president of the United yeah. States. And so this, I think like this is the epitome of free speech. Um, and it's really ballsy because once, you, you know, this president holds a grudge yeah. forever. And so to be, um, for the newspaper itself to decide to take a stand against the president um, is very admirable, I think, to me. And I think it, it speaks really well of Baltimore itself to defend its representative because uh, Representative Cummings has done a lot of good yeah. for um, this country and for people of color. And so um, shout out to the Baltimore Sun, to Representative Elijah Cummings for never backing down, and to the people of Baltimore for kind of, I know there was like protests and there's some controversy about. There was protests about this? Well, protest, yeah, uh, against Trump. Wow. Um, and uh, there was like controversy, and I know this because you know, my partner is conservative, so we share <laughs> our take on different subjects. And I was watching some of the ways that um, he follows these really conservative social media pages. And I was I was listening to some of the way that they were portraying the response of Baltimore. Um, and so a lot of people were just kind of critical of like, oh, these are just people just taking advantage of an opportunity to destroy the city. Yeah. Like they didn't really want to protest. They just wanted to loiter mm -hmm. and be criminals. Mm. Um, and so I, and I, whatever your take is on the right or wrong way to protest anything, um, I still think that it is um, worth shouting out to the newspaper for using their words um, to words to fight words. Um, so shout out to the Baltimore Sun and shout out to Baltimore. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and then our second shout out goes to um, the state that I love shouting out. <laughs> Um, so my home state, California. <laughs> so I want to shout out two California professors. Um, and I couldn't, I don't know how, why I couldn't find out where they were teaching. Um, but they just finished installing a powerful new architectural addition to the U.S.-Mexico border wall. Um, they place seesaws across the border so children um, and adults can um, play together. So the professors, Ronald Hale, Real. Rael? Oh, Ronald Real <laughs> and Virginia San Frateo, Frateo say that the set of seesaws allow children and adults from both sides of the fence to play together, all while still being on their respective sides of the border. Um, so it, I mean, it's a small thing, but if you, um, maybe we'll post the picture of it. There's video it looks, too. Yeah, it looks really, really dope, you yeah. know? And it's like, I mean, it's a way of humanizing people that you kind of look at through a fence. Because there, there's, there's a fence there. Yeah. And I think, you know, actually, there are a lot of misconceptions about this. Like, I think that people, a lot of people thought that before this wall that Donald Trump wanted to put up, there was just nothing. Yeah. And it's like, no, there's a fence there. Like, we're not, yeah, like, it's not like, oh, there, it's just like a a crosswalk. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, I I don't know. Um, But yeah, so shout out to these professors. It's a small thing, but I think a little bit of joy can um, help to push out a lot of darkness. Yeah. Um, And so that wraps up our shout out segment. And we are going to dive into our in the know segment. Um, Okay, so now for our In the Know segment. Yes, and so our first In the Know story um, is about a racist confrontation caught on camera. And by now you probably have seen the interview or memes or at least a picture of this woman that we're talking about, Nancy Goodman. So a North Carolina woman says she is not sorry for using the N-word in a confrontation with two black restaurant customers um, that has now gone viral. Um, Nancy Goodman did an interview for a newspaper for a news station and uh, she's 71 she's a white woman and said that when they asked her um, you know about it she said that she would say it again and claims <laughs> I know claims that her tremendous anxiety propelled her actions towards the other women uh, Chanda Stewart and Lakeisha Shaw at a bonefish grill in Raleigh on uh, last week. The two women said that Nancy Goodman called them rude and said they were being too loud. Stewart, annoyed by the remarks, began recording Nancy Goodman on her cell phone while recounting the situation. She later posted the video on her Facebook page where it has now accrued more than 200,000 views. And so what makes this story different than a lot of the viral videos where people are caught being racist is that in her interview, she says that they asked her, do you know that this word is offensive? And she said, yes, that's why I said it. And I would say it again. And so it's just like for someone to own their racism in such a um, realistic way is, I guess, catching some I forgot who I was listening to but they were just kind of like we know that this is how people feel Mm -hmm. um and so she's just kind of saying what a lot of people are thinking anyway but um it used to be where racism was something that 
people were being racist is something that people like really rejected like no no that wasn't racist let me tell you why it wasn't racist whereas in this situation nancy goodman is telling people i know it was racist i was intending it to be racist that's the point yeah since then of course as you can imagine she's gotten a lot of uh heat for this so she released a statement on facebook where she apologized she had facebook yes she said that she has black friends and in the video she said I have black friends and um, they're like do you call them the n-word and she said no they're not like you and so um, in her statement again she reminds us that she has black friends and apologizes to her family but not to the women just to her family and then I guess for because she says that she shouldn't have uh, let her uh, she should, basically she shouldn't have let them get her so angry to, she shouldn't have reacted in that way not that she shouldn't have been racist mm-hmm. but she shouldn't have reacted in that way she should have gone to the manager and, and complained to them instead of confronting the women um, and then once again brought up her anxiety and said that it was her anxiety that caused her to react in that way yeah, I mean, I think this is ridiculous, right? But she's also like an elderly woman. She's seventy-one. Yeah. yeah so yeah. when I look, when I yeah, yeah, so it's like who I expect this from is exactly Again. her demographic. That's true. Um, so she's just like being exactly who. Like I have white friends who talk about their grandparents, like and how their grandparents are racist. I have no and like. Sadly, when I inter, especially I mean in Texas, like when I interact with like old white people this is kind of what I expect and I kind of brace myself for it and then when I don't get it it's like oh thank god you know (laughs) oh you're cool but I don't go into it like expecting for them to be nice and polite because I have um kind of and uh I don't know what I don't know how to say what's the opposite of like gentrified whatever the opposite of that is um they're south as far as they see it so Mm. yeah I I yeah. mean, I think it's stupid, but I think it's stupid that she went on Facebook. It's like, you're old. Just everybody. That's true, yeah. I I mean, I know there are so many people like her, and living in the South for most of my life, there are so many people like her. So a part of me is like, well, finally people are owning it. And some people are like, oh my gosh, this is the type of country that we're in. And it's like a lot of white what? people. Yeah, a lot of white people are saying like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is the country that we're in where it's so flagrant and it's Trump. And the other part of me is like, no, it's this like is this, this is pre... Yeah, I was like, <laughs> Trump, yes, is like making it more in the open on his platform. But there are people who have thought this all along. Yeah. Yeah. And people have been this... Like, she didn't just go in the past two years being yeah. like, oh, I think these people are N-words. Like, she oh, yeah, was thinking right. that all her her life. Yeah. Um, and it's just now being broadcasted on our yeah. phones. Because now it's like everything goes viral. And so yeah. people, like, so it's like not only do we now have phones that have, you know, cameras and we got smartphones and everything, but people also want to go viral. So they're going to make, like, so for me, when I see, if there were an old woman interacting with me like this, it, my first thought would not be to record it. But for some people, like, that's the way their brain works. Yeah, it's like, I would oh, record it. Record it. No, yeah. I'm going to record it. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, I think, I feel like there are a lot of things that I, there are a lot of potentially viral videos I could have put up <laughs> if I had thought about it in the moment. But, like, I always think about it after the fact, like, ah, dang, I could have got that. (laughs) So, yeah, good for these people. I mean, shout out to them, too. Yeah. 
Um, and so our next story is kind of like a continuation of a story that we touched on, and I believe in our last episode, and it was about the protests in Puerto Rico. Um, and so the governor of Puerto Rico did step down, um, but apparently controversy still continues about who's going to be in charge. So Governor Rosello was forced out after two weeks of immense pressure, both on the streets and within his party. Um, although the protesters successfully ousted the governor after two weeks of rallies, they now appear to have set their eyes on Ms. Vasquez, who is the Secretary of Justice <laughs> and under the territory's constitution would become governor when his resignation becomes effective. Um, activist uh, Alvin Cotto um, said that people don't trust anyone who is tied to his cabinet. Nobody tied to the administration can take that seat. Nobody who has been tainted by corruption should become the next governor. And so we had talked in the story last week that his, his administration had just been exposed for a lot of corruption. And particularly for her, um, apparently there were like trucks of unused aid for her from Hurricane Maria. Mm. Um, and so she neglected to, or chose not to investigate it. Yeah. Um, and with questioning lots of people as to, well, then why would you not investigate this? And you must know something or must have some ties to this in some way. Um, and then she had been like just personally doing shady stuff, um, just kind of like using her position to help family get out of like trouble and stuff. Mm. And so people are just saying, well, now that we know that, you know, we have the power and the ability to demand, um, something to happen and have it happened we don't want we're not just gonna all this effort is not just gonna go to someone who is also problematic yeah so right now they don't know who's gonna be the next governor so Puerto Rico is still um, it's a small victory but overall still kind of trying to figure out what the next step is but people have said they will continue to protest until they have a new person that they can vote in so that the people can have their voice heard and not just someone that um, worked with this governor. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then our last um, in the no topic um, is concerning a 10-year-old from Canton, Michigan, who has been charged with aggravated assault after injuring another student during a schoolyard dodgeball game. Um, so the boy's mother, Kamisha Triplett Lindley, said that on April 30th, her son Bryce was suspended from Erickson Elementary School and then, quote, for throwing a ball back at a student during recess, during recess while playing a game called Tips or Dodgeball. She wrote this on Facebook. Um, she then said that the ball um, her son threw allegedly resulted in the other student having a, having a concussion. And then she wrote, after meeting with the principal about why Bryce was suspended while the other students who fully participated in the game were not, the principal disclosed that the injured student has a pre-existing condition. She was told that the student had chronic brainstem infliction. And she said that clearly the student should not have been playing a physical contact sport. And then a few months after her son's suspension, Lindley learned that her son was being charged with aggravated assault in the Third Circuit Juvenile Court in Detroit, Michigan. The mother of the boy who was hit with the ball told the news that she, um, that she sought legal action because this was not the first time her son has been targeted. She said she reported a prior incident to the school in mid-April. 
She said, quote, my son was hit twice in the face with a ball previously due to this. The child apologized to my son and my son said, mom, it's okay, we're still gonna be friends. The mother who remained anonymous told the station. However, the incident on April 29th was the final straw, she said. She was worried for her child's safety. So even though the kid who hit her son with the ball back in mid-April is not the same kid that her son was playing um, dodgeball with at the end of April, she is still seeking out legal action against this second child. Mm-hmm. Also note, the child that is being um, charged is a black child, and the family that is doing the charging is a white family. Not that that's necessarily relevant. You can decide for yourself, but that those are the facts. Um, and so the mom, well, I don't know who started this GoFundMe, but there's a GoFundMe going to raise legal expenses for this case. Um, the mother or whoever started the, the um, GoFundMe um, was only seeking to raise 4000 and ultimately ended up raising 11230 Is that 15 now? Oh, well, and now it's, it's at... at 14,819. Yeah, so that's awesome. Like, people, yeah. the the public is really coming through for this kid. Like, I can't imagine 10 years old and I you're know. going through this because you were playing a game. Like, I, and people play volleyball. Like, I've been hit in the head with a volleyball pretty hard a few times. Yeah. And I one of those times was by my uncle. <laughs> like, I should have sued him. <laughs> right? And he later hit me in the head with a volleyball. He spiked me. We were playing a game of family volleyball, and he spiked me. And I was, like, That's 14. Rough. Yeah. And I just cried. It was so embarrassing. I mean, so the mom on said released a statement thanking everyone for the support and for the media for the, her support. And I, I think that the mom is not targeting the right person like I understand that from her perception it seems like her son is being targeted but having an eight-month-old son and seeing how many accidents he's gone into just because he's very curious like stuff happens yeah either you actually you know there's been times where I accidentally like bend down and he bumps his head against something and I'm like oh my gosh like <laughs> it's just like you can't control everything that happens yeah. um, but and so and, and in thinking about children playing sports and being like you're just going to yeah like the coordination isn't there to control <laughs> things the way that they should um, generally, even in adult sports, people get, you know, who do this professionally, people yeah. get hurt. And so I think that if she really, if she wants to avoid her son being um, hurt in any way, then the only thing you can do is not have him play sports. Especially when he has a precondition. Yeah. Um, but if you're willing to let your son play sports because you want him not to miss out on that part of his childhood, then if it was not an accident, if it was an accidental um, interaction, then I don't think that she should be charged. Like, yes, yeah. maybe have everyone in the school sit down and say, okay, like we have someone here who we just need to be extra careful about. What could yeah. we do as a community to make sure that we offer him protection, but not maybe he should wear a helmet, maybe yeah. like do something, but not, you know, possibly traumatize a 10 year old by giving him a starting a rap sheet for something that is super minor and he could potentially have some kind of complex or something like even if this doesn't pan out 
in the worst possible way. Like, and I feel like if the if the school knows about this child's um, illness or ailment or whatever, the school should not be allowing. I mean, they, like at ten in when you're ten years old, so that's what fifth grade. Your recess is supervised. They shouldn't be letting little kids play dodgeball if they're kids that have injuries. Mm-hmm. You know, like that just doesn't make any sense. And so, yeah. the, to to have like a child to treat a child like he went into this intending to hurt another kid is ridiculous. And then also, even if he did, little kids play rough. Yeah, like we don't know the circumstances. Like I for sure have played rough with other kids and hurt other kids accidentally or whatever. And it's like you, I mean, that just I don't know. That's really gross. Like a way a really gross way of acting like you're gonna charge a little kid i don't know and so i was trying like i i tacked on the like race thing at the end so that it wouldn't color the like you know as you're hearing the story but it just i mean why would you do that to a kid yeah like it just feels nasty and racist to me yeah well and I, i mean already statistically you know black boys are more suspended like yeah they have a yeah. higher likelihood of being suspended and yeah. then being targeted racially profiled like he's already going to encounter so many um instances in his life where he is assumed to be doing yeah. something criminal mm-hmm. and in the situation where we see that exactly happening even though the mother is not like she the mother may believe i'm not you know charging him because he's black and he did this it's just within the context of the society that we live in little black boys are treated like criminals yeah and this is a situation where we see that happening yeah yeah for sure um okay so that wraps up our in the know segment and now we're going to dive into our what's being slept on segment which stick around because it's going to be really interesting i think <laughs> so i strongly suggest that you wake the fuck Okay, so now for our what's being slept on segment, um, we're going to discuss dating, relationships, and marriage while in grad school, and we are going to talk about like some of our own experiences and how we um, navigated and kind of handled that. So I kind of just wanted to preface this by saying that coming into grad school with a partner is a different experience with a different set of challenges than being in grad being single when you enter grad school, and then having to or not having to but I guess actively trying to find a partner yeah and so we'll talk about kind of both of those different experiences and I'll start out by talking about some of the practical reasons that dating in grad in grad school can be difficult one thing I also wanted to say is that so I did my master's thesis on on this experience so I interviewed like a bunch of PhD students across two universities about their experiences finding partners Mm. or you know maintaining their relationship so it was about like trying to enter a relationship or finding a relationship trying to maintain a relationship and the sorts of things that they think about and so a lot of this stuff came from my findings which I and then I also read um, an article today on it was some blog. I want to say it was something like Reddit <laughs> or something like that. But some of the topics that people were thinking about. And, I mean, everything was... There was a lot of overlap. Everything was pretty similar. I feel like there's a really specific set of concerns. But one of the main ones is 
work-life balance. Yeah. And, I mean, that is kind of, like, it sounds good. It's real, like, pleasing to the ears, but it's so hard to achieve. And I would say, especially in the beginning, um, in the first, like, few years of grad school when you're taking classes and all of that yeah. stuff. And I would say that this is maybe... I don't know, Zelma, you could tell me what you think about this, but I think that this is even more so difficult to achieve for people who are in STEM, so like science or math-related or science, technology, engineering, mathematics-related fields, um, because they have to work in a lab. Yeah. And so, whereas for us, like, we could, you know, maybe this is not quality time, but we could take our laptops and go do work at yeah, home, at and our, our partners yeah. like, could be sitting there or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Whereas these people, like, they may have to run experiments or things like that in a lab or on a secure network yes. or whatever. No, I agree. Yeah, and so it's, like, really difficult to make sure that you're getting your work done because, you know, it's, I, I don't know, I feel like in undergrad there's a little bit, there's a, well, a lot more room to kind of BS around and, like, you know, you're one of a gazillion kids and, like, you're one of a gazillion kids in a classroom. Like, you don't, you're you not being watched over and kind of micromanaged in the same way that you are as a grad student, especially in our program, I think, if, or at our university, I would say. Like, we, we come in with really small cohorts. We're, we're given, given an advisor, and that person knows exactly how you're doing in class. Like, they're talking to everybody else yeah. in the department, so they know, like, they, got, they run tabs on you, you know? And, like, you technically can't get below a B minus, like, technically. And so you, like, the amount of work that you have to put in is a lot different than undergrad. And that take, that can potentially take away from, like, your, the life aspect. So whether you're, like, looking for somebody to date, like, you know, I know a lot of people that are on dating apps and stuff, or you're in a relationship or you're married or whatever. And then gender inequality and educational attainment. So I think that this is especially the case for um, women. Mm -hmm. And so I think some women may feel like men are intimidated by their degree status. And I think this might be especially true for minority women mm -hmm. who it's a lot more difficult to find somebody who is, like say you're a black woman and you're pursuing a PhD on a predominantly white campus. There aren't a whole lot of black men PhDs on campus with you that you could potentially date or form relationships with like there might be for other groups who are um, who are more well represented on campuses. So you either may have to go outside the campus to date someone or to another university or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, and I think, you know, whether or not men actually are intimidated, the fact that there are not, the fact that like if you are a black woman or, you know, you're, or um, Latina, you can't just as easily go and date somebody on campus or like just walking around or whatever like you could if you were a white woman. So yeah, so that's a difficulty. And then potentially having to move for a postdoc or faculty position. Mm -hmm. So that's the position that, or the situation that Zelma and I are in right now where we're gearing up to, you know, get ready to potentially have to move for a for a job and that is majority that's almost everybody yeah so it is very very rare to well one like jobs uh, like universities don't give you faculty positions at the university that you got a phd in like it's just not a thing that I really happens i don't think i know anyone yeah like and i remember when i was in undergrad and i was applying to phds they were saying like 
you know, if you want to come back and teach in the UC system, you need to get your PhD, like, outside the UC yeah. system. Because they, I feel like they want to, universities want to kind of project this, like, unbiased, uh, you know, diverse image or whatever and there is for some reason there's this idea that if you recruit people from other campuses they're going to have a diverse set of ideas and all that stuff which I mean we're all being socialized into the same field or whatever yeah. so I don't think that's the case necessarily but it just to me it just makes sense if you, you know if you work closely with people and they know a lot about you yeah. you can't go from that to teaching but. yeah and then depending on what kind of like Oh, you're saying students. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like, okay, okay. Oh, you want to keep with your advisor uh, after they just knew all this stuff yeah, about that you. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, yeah, okay, actually, that's a, like, very social reason. Yeah. Like, less political, I mean, more political. Yeah, 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 okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so the moving part, you know, the fact that, like, you have to, um, you know that, like, coming from undergrad to grad school, you have to move, and then coming from grad school to a postdoc or to a faculty position, you have to move. So it might be less appealing to try to find somebody to date while you're in the middle of your PhD when you only have maybe two years left. And if that person already, if that person lives and is established in the city where you met them, then it might seem unfair to uproot them and have them move to a um, different like city or whatever. So when I was interviewing people for my thesis, there were a lot of people that were saying things like that. Like they were like in their third or fourth year, which means like, oh, I only have a year left. Why would I start looking for somebody to date now and potentially get in a serious relationship when I'm going to have to move and I don't know where I'm going to live in another year? Like I don't want to move, like be moving them around or whatever when I just met them or potentially have to break up, you know, and like and now I got all attached to this person yeah. and whatever. So, yeah, that's a thing. And they um, and then. Also, and I think this is maybe harder. Yeah, I would say this is harder. If there are two people that are academics, like PhDs, and they start to date or they get serious or whatever, or get married while in grad school, and then they both have to try to find jobs, yeah. majority of the time, they are not going to find jobs at the same school. Like, that just is so 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 rare unless one faculty now what has happened in our department is that one faculty or one um, PhD student is like really like a really really big shot and can kind of call the shots and they can negotiate a position for their spouse at this new um, at this new university but then I also know people who were not able to do that and so then their spouse had to like you know, do something different, take a different career path or whatever. You know, that can be straining on your relationship if you have to live in different locations. Yeah, I knew someone who, one of my professors was teaching at a university I was in and her husband was teaching at a university in a different state. So wow. they lived, they had two houses, Yeah, lived in two different states. And like maybe four years later, they were able to get a position after she had established tenure and like was able to get her husband to get a job where she was teaching but for four years they were living in different states that's rough yeah that's rough and that yeah that's the very thing that people are trying to avoid a lot of Mm -hmm. times so a lot of times people like one of my major findings in my thesis was that um women were unwilling to date like anybody so most of the single women in my sample didn't want to date period academics or not because they didn't want to have to 
you know, they, yeah. like, the kind of the way that I, the way that I talked about it is that they, like, men assume the dominant position in a relationship. So the women were not comfortable, like, with the idea of having to tell their partner, like, hey, you have, like, do you want to follow me? Yeah. Like, you know, because typically that's the, what the woman does is follow, um, stereotypically. And so they, the women wanted to date nobody. And it was like, you know what? I'm not comfortable with that. I'm going to just wait until I'm established in my career and I know where I'm going to be. The men didn't want to date academic women. Um, they were fine dating, like, you know, women outside of academia. And I think that a lot of that was because they weren't confident that a, a woman who was established in academia and was getting a PhD and all that stuff would be willing to follow him. And so it was like, you know, there's this this way that we see like how gen how gender norms and things like that impact how people think about dating and all of that and then also trying to navigate when to start a family and so i think that that is um a big deal particularly for women who are mm -hmm. in their mid like who are in their 30s while in grad school yeah. you know and so trying to figure out like do i have a child in grad school do i wait until grad school is over but then how old will i be how many children will i be able to yeah. have and things like that so yeah so that's a hard part and then also academia has its own culture and it can be very difficult for anyone who is not an academic to understand so the pressure, the competitiveness, the late nights and weekend and working on the weekends, the travel and or needing to go live elsewhere for a while on fellowship. Um, we luckily did it. Well, no, actually, we do have some people in our department that did that. But that's a really big issue in anthropology where a lot of them um, have to go to a specific site and and conduct or collect their data for like a year yeah. sometimes, yeah. Um, sometimes two years. And then just when you and your partner might think you're almost done, you have to then write a dissertation, which takes several months or even a year or longer to complete. And so it's like just when you see the promised land, the light at the end of the tunnel, it gets further away. And then so the ways that dating in grad school is different from dating in college. So one, you're, you're different. You're at a different phase in your life. And I think mostly you're older. And so that especially I know for women um, with the like biological clock, even though it's really not biological, but we treat it like it is. So with the biological clock, a lot of us hear it ticking, you know, at a certain point in our 20s, especially if we're single and we're thinking like, okay, if I wanna have a baby by this point, I have to get married by this point, if you're interested in marriage, I have to, um, that means that I have to meet somebody by this point, because I want to be with somebody for a few years before I get married, and then uh, spend a little time with them before we have a baby, and da 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 da, -da. So that is something that might be factoring into um, how you're thinking about things more so than it did when you were 20, yeah, 20 and in college. Um, and then your dating pool is more limited. And um, this is especially depending on where you live and then your race and gender. So for example, like a lot of universities are in college towns, which when you're in an undergrad and you're between 18 and 21, that is popping. The whole city <laughs> is about dating you. Pool, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's dedicated to you and your campus. But then when you are a grad student and you're, you know, 23, 24, 25 plus up yeah. until like, you know, grad students are of really varying ages. Yeah. So I would say between like 23 and like 40. Um, and so if you're within that age group and you're single, 
uh, like a city full of 18 to 21 year olds is not appealing. And then also, like I talked about earlier, if you're on a university campus and you spend, so I would say during my first year, I spent probably all the weekends, but maybe four, like, or no, maybe I wouldn't say weekends, maybe every day of the week, with the exception of the weekends, by myself. Mm, <laughs> like, yeah, or with like, maybe. you know, people in the department. You know, and so you spend majority of the time by yourself. And so it's like, how are you going to meet somebody? And I remember my friend told me, like, you know, I know that the only way I'm going to meet somebody is if he's my pizza man. And it's like, yeah, because we spend all of our time in our offices or at home or um, and just in front of our laptops, not really interacting with people. And so if you're on a campus where all the gra- like none of the grad students are people that you would potentially date because maybe you're a black woman and none of the grad students are black men or maybe you're a black gay man and none mm-hmm. of the grad students on campus are black gay men or yeah. gay or whatever gay men you may have a hard time finding people to be with and then you spend five plus years of your life doing this thing and if you start when you're i don't know any age it could just feel like forever yeah so before we get to ways to alleviate stress and strain about dating and relationships in um, graduate school wanted to talk about my perspective of being married in graduate school and how that not only puts like strain on your relationship but also the challenges that you have to encounter with that so because I did my master's before I did my PhD I was in a relationship then engaged then married um, during graduate school so I it was really stressful to plan a wedding during graduate school Mm -hmm. it was really stressful which by itself is stressful so tack on that plus um, the stress of planning a wedding and then having to plan around your schedule so okay well I summers would be good for me but they're not good for my family or friends or in around this time I might be in a conference so that might not be good or I'm gonna graduate in this month so I can't do so there's like already uh, lots of you're you're being in graduate school your schedule is flexible but it's also not um because somebody else owns your time yeah a graduate school isn't like a nine to five there is no definitive end time to working mm-hmm. um you can really be working on weekends you can be working on evenings especially if you have deadlines or you know if you're working on a, a collaborative paper and someone needs something done by a certain time um and so if your partner is, or your significant other gets home at six they can be totally done for the day Mm -hmm. and just like be able to detach watch tv want to do stuff whereas you might still take your work home and continue writing up until you go to bed and so that's also hard Um, and then as Ebony talked about in the beginning of your graduate program you're doing your coursework so you're taking like three classes um, plus you're doing uh, research assistant jobs tasks so you're you could be looking at you know 20 hours of reading and writing and preparing for classes Um, and so that really takes away time from because you have to think about you're spending time in class 
plus you have to spend time out of the class preparing for the in-class stuff. So um, it takes away a lot of time from uh, time that you can be spending with your partner. And one thing that I always tell people when they ask me about my experience is if I could go back, I would have spent less time doing school stuff and more mm -hmm. time on my relationship because the extra 15 hours a week I spent reading articles for this one class that is only a line on my transcript did nothing but the strain that that semester took on my relationship really added on and impacted it. So I always tell people that uh, schools definitely not should not come first and school will make you feel otherwise. Um, it makes you feel like they, because, especially if you're on a scholarship, they demand so much of your time. You really have to be the one that says no, or, and it's really hard to say, no, I'm not going to do that for you. So what I had to learn to say is the quality that I'm going to turn in for this is not going to be 110% because I don't want to kill myself getting something in for you and have my personal life suffer because school isn't the most important thing to me. Mm -hmm. um, can I and then can I say something yeah. about that? Like, so I think that another thing about really like why that's important too is because relationships will give you your partner will, who loves you will give you instant gratification mm -hmm. you know like you're gonna get hugs you're gonna get kisses you're gonna get like love time or whatever grad school is not ever gonna give you that it's like no matter yeah. how good you no matter how well you do in your classes you still end up feeling like shit yeah, yeah. Like they, just, I don't know what it is. It's like built into the system. It's con like there's so much uncertainty. Like it's like okay, I did all this work for this. Now I got to turn it turn it in and see how I do. You know, turn in this and see how I do. And like a lot of it is, you're like submitting things to people who don't know anything about you. Like a lot of the things that we submit are like you know, like blind, and so the people don't know you, you don't know them, and they just determine your fate, you know? And so I feel like for for that reason, like especially if you're feeling like drained or empty, like getting that, going to your partner and like sacrificing that time on whatever, um, even if like, and I think I, I'm gonna say talk about it a little bit later, but like even if you have to add on a few hours on a different day, you know, like taking some time if y'all have not been able to spend it together is important because then you also get refilled, you know? And sometimes you have to get, like, grad school will drain your cup. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you it need does. it, like, re, you know, refilled. Yeah, yeah. And which goes to the next point of grad school stress is uh, a really particular kind of stress <laughs> that can really put a damper not only on your self-esteem because you're in an institution whose main goal is to constantly challenge you and your work and critique you because mm -hmm. at the end of the day that's how you make good science if you <laughs> if your thoughts can uh, this is what the institution says if your thoughts can withstand the constant debate and tear down and criticism and feedback from other people and you, you still have that quality of work is, you know, that's the type of scientific knowledge that we need. But in order to get to that, you have a lot of 
interactions and situations where people are basically telling you what you're producing is not good enough. And so that really does a number on your self-esteem. And sometimes it's really hard not to take that out on people around you. And so if you, it's a lot easier to take it out on your partner or significant other because they're the person who's around you the most. Um, and so I've definitely had instances where, you know, we were supposed to go out to dinner and I read an email and it's like, you didn't get this, or it's a bad review about mm -hmm. something, and then you're instantly in a bad mood, or you just, you don't even have to be in a bad mood, but you can just be sad yeah. and anxious, and then it's like you kind of, it's not fun for the other person. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, even if it's not something negative where you're thinking, oh, um, something bad happened to me, I got bad feedback, just being anxious about all the stuff you have to get done and thinking about it, you know, that energy just kind of feeds off and it doesn't make the other person want to spend time with you. Um, so that's definitely something that is, I think, um, the grad school stress. I, I know everyone has stress. Everyone who has a job, who doesn't have a job, like we all bring our stress. But in particular, the stress of grad school is unique in a way that it um, just like impacts how you feel about yourself and uh, your future and the anxiety that you have about it that can really feed off into your relationship. And then the last thing about being married in graduate school which is something that I think it's it's particularly um, relevant for couples where one person is in graduate school and the other person isn't. I mean, that's in how much you depend financially on your significant other while you're in school. Mm -hmm. And so for me, my partner has been kind of supporting me the whole time I've been in graduate school, which will now be coming on eight years. So for like eight years, my partner had to stay at a really stable job um, and always be employed to make sure that we could pay our bills and stuff. Because even though I have a scholarship, that's only paying for school. And even though I get a stipend, it's not really livable. Like I can't really <laughs> pay rent sure. and save and pay bills and do all the things that I need to on the amount of money that I get, even if it's higher than some schools get. Um, and so even I remember in the beginning where my partner and I were making decisions about should I go to a program full time or work and do my PhD part time, which some programs did and I was considering. And he was like, no, like, you know, I'm going to help. Like, this is what we're going to do and it won't be bad. And then five years, you know, will happen really fast and then we'll take turns and then I'll take a Aww. break. But at year three, you're over it. And so he, that was one of the biggest things. And so my, you know, my partner and I have gone to therapy. And one of the biggest things that we talk about is the resentment that grows from the fact that he's kind of had to put his life, his career track on hold to focus on mine. And so mm -hmm. he just felt that our relationship centered around my ambitions. And he was mm -hmm. like, you're studying and doing things that you want to do, and I want to change my job, but I can't because we can't even have a month of, no un of me being unemployed because your income wouldn't help. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then just, you know, I have more flexibility in my schedule in terms of I have summers off. Even though I'm doing work, it's still like I still have the luxury of I can day, take a couple days off. I can take a week off. I don't have to report to a supervisor. I, ha I have a whole month off for winter. And so he, you know, it's hard not to be resentful and to just to be like, well, I have to go to this nine to five every day so that you can binge watch Netflix today. And even if that one day was just a random day where he did not see the 12 hours I was working on this project and all the stuff that I've been accomplishing, he just saw a snapshot of me on the couch watching TV. And in his mind, he's like, she's just like hanging out and being a student for fun and mm -hmm. I'm going to work. Mm -hmm. And that's something that is a very real stress. And I think it's totally normal and natural. Um, and so I think when couples are thinking about um, or when you have relationships like that, I think it's unrealistic to not think that one of the partners feels resentful at times or kind of like stressed or just kind of impatient about like, okay, like, you know, you're all, are you almost done? Mm -hmm. And then if you get to the point where you're like, okay, I need another year. Like for me, I was gonna graduate in five years, but then I needed to take six. And one, when you're so close, that extra year so feels like close. forever. Yeah. And then even now I'm like, well, if I don't get a job, what if, would I try again? And it's like, no, like we really need to just, like I can't, he was like, I can't do two more years. Like I can mm -hmm. barely do one more. And so, it's, and it's very real. And so, I, you know, if, if roles were changed, I think that um, I would. And so, our plan now is when I get a job, he's going to quit his job. And for three months, I'm just telling him, like, don't even look for a job. Like, mm. you need three months of just a break and to do whatever, and then we can continue. Um, and so, I think you have to think about things like that. And that makes it a little more, um, a little better and a little, because you really do have to think, like, a graduate career may seem you're talking years because you have to think quick but when it comes down to the reality of it five years is a very long time yeah yeah and that can add a lot of stress yeah. and strain mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. okay so now we're going to talk about some ways of alleviating um, the stress and strain and so these are these are kind of, I mean, I guess these are kind of sort of approaches that I have used. And I'm sure that Zelma has a lot of strategies that she's used too. Um, but I'm, sh and then I'm sure that there are a lot more that, you know, people out there that are listening could think of. But one thing is to be reflexive. So don't expect your partner to just understand what you're going through, especially if this is a relationship that already established before school. If your relationship dynamics had to change, be patient with your partner as they adjust. And so I would say that this also varies at different stages in the program. So certain stages of the program are more stressful than others. Mm -hmm. Certain stages of the program are gonna require more of your time and attention than others. And you, the, the ebbs and flows of like your emotions and feelings and the way that you kind of interact with your partner is gonna shift, right? And so, you know, there are times in the program where I have, like, my anxiety has been at a, like, high, 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 right? And him, and like, or I've been really sad or down or whatever. And his see, him seeing that is kind of like, why are you putting yourself through that? Like, why are you doing this to yourself and all this stuff, right? He doesn't get it. Like, he doesn't get 
I don't always have the answers to that <laughs> question yeah. either. Um, sometimes I'm like, why am I doing this yeah. to myself? Um, but we'll get into arguments and stuff because it's like, no, I'm, st- I'm, I'm gonna. There's no. Sometimes there's no um, solution. You just got to do it. Like sometimes your advisor is gonna piss you off, or sometimes another faculty person in a class is gonna piss you off, or your grades, or your. Um, some feedback that you got on a paper you submitted to a journal or something like that, you're gonna get feedback that's gonna affect your mood and a lot of times they yeah. won't understand why you're like allowing that to, to tear you down. Or, you know, like the the kind of natural response when you talk to anybody about issues that you're having in grad school or like, you know, maybe your confidence or your self-esteem takes a blow, like family, friends, what they're gonna tell you is, you're so smart like you're so capable like what you made it this far like or you know god didn't bring you this far to leave you or all these you know and it's like that's not i appreciate (laughs) it but that is not helping me like i don't feel smart right now like i know to you i'm like a genius but no it's like everyone here everybody is smart and they expect like I mean, your faculty, it doesn't, like, you could look at a paper and be like, oh, my God, this is the best thing I've Mm -hmm. ever written. Mm -hmm. And they will find all of the problems. And it's like, like, this is so eloquent. Like, this writing is so amazing. And no, it's like, no, go back and, like, you see this whole section here? Yeah, restructure that. You know, and you feel like you've just put everything into it. And then that can just beat you down. Yeah. And maybe you've talked to your partner about these ideas. Or maybe a presentation. You, like, I show Maurice sits with me through presentations all the time. And he's like, oh, yeah, like, that's awesome. You're going to go in there and knock him dead. And it's like, uh... You go in there and they're not impressed. And yeah. then, you know, you feel shitty. And then you come back and it's like, why did you let them get to you? Um, yeah. So, <laughs> again, don't expect your partner to just understand what you're going through. And then next, don't take your relationship for granted. So don't expect that if you aren't being attentive or you're being irritable or flaky, etc., your partner will just deal and stick around. So... I mean, yeah, like, I mean, so stick around in, like, a physical sense, but also stick around, like, emotionally, mentally. You're, you know, so if, I think that when you know what you're going through and you're experiencing it, it can seem very off-putting if your partner is getting irritated or is not understanding that, like, oh, I can no longer do this this weekend or I can no longer go here on this day because now my advisor needs this or... Yeah, um, vacations. Yeah. Like, so, sorry, I'm going to have to work a yeah. little on vacations. That's oh, always don't hard. pull out that laptop yeah. on vacations. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and so, like, things like that or even just, like, constantly checking your email, et cetera, et cetera. Like, yeah. Um, or yeah. if you, like... Yeah, so if there are things that you can't do anymore, and I feel like I I could see how... So I met um, Maurice while I was already in my program, but a lot of the things that I... And I met him during my second year, which was, you know, if I had met him that first year, I don't know what our relationship <laughs> would have been like because I had time for zero people yeah. my first year. Like, yeah. I had time for nothing, yeah. and I was a mess. Like, I oh, was... Yeah. Such an emotional mess. Yeah, crying all the time and just feeling like shit all the time. And so I think that, you know, I if I had met him during that time, I don't know that I could have expected for him to be patient with me and for us to be at this stage in our relationship. Um, 
because yeah there was just too much like I was even friends that I had I was constantly flaking like you know I would just kind of go ghost because I'm like in in the throes of whatever and it's hard to communicate it's hard to communicate that like oh I'm still reading for like the 10th 11th hour it's like what why are you why do you need to read for that much time you really can't come out this weekend you really can't yada 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 um yeah and then communication so communication is so necessary so be sure to keep the lines of communication open do regular check-ins to see how your partner is doing how are you hanging in there? Like, I know we haven't gotten to do this thing that we planned on doing, or I know we watch this show every week typically, but like, I can't do that this week. Or I know I said I was gonna be cooking you dinner and that dinner would be ready when you got home from work, or that I used to cook for you before I started grad school and now I don't anymore, or I don't clean anymore, or I don't do X, Y, and Z anymore. You know, there are gonna be a lot of shifts, but you like, don't just not talk about it and hope that it just goes away yeah. or hope that they just kind of like you know get the clue or figure it out make sure that you're talking with them and checking in on them because it's hard on you but it's also hard I, I feel like it's hard for somebody to watch somebody that you love kind of be like put through the ringer mentally and emotionally and so yeah I feel like that could probably take a toll as well yeah and then last do you have su- do you have suggestions? No, no, okay. sorry. So lastly, make time. Yeah. So I know this is easier said than done, especially if you're at the beginning stages of your program, but make time to spend with your partner. It might mean that you have to work harder or longer on other days, but it's really important to carve out some time to spend and really like stick to it. So I don't know what people are into, like memories. At this, at this point, again, because I'm spending all day writing and then I can be like, okay, I'm going to write from this time to this time and then I'm done. You know, like th- that is now like going into my sixth year in the program, like something that I could do. That was not something I could do like yeah. two, three, four-ish years ago. And he met me like right as I was um, studying for comps. And so that yeah. was even a rough period. Like I used to, I did used to, actually I was really good at that though, surprisingly. Like I was good at being like, okay, I'm gonna stay up and read until 2 a.m., but I'm gonna take an hour or an hour and a half between 8 and 9 or 8 and 9.30 to have dinner with him. And so that was kind of like a, a schedule thing that I made sure to like really put that in my planner and respected that time, you know? But yeah, I could, I know that like that may not work for everybody. Like some people get a flow and they like, once they're in it, they got to stay in it or whatever. But yeah, so I think that it's important to try to make time and stick to it. Do you have any additional ones? Um, just like, you know, adding a family with your partner and making time. I try to make time where it's like, in addition to making time with my partner, I make time with my partner and our baby. So making sure that, you know, because I find ways to work on stuff while he's napping and then find ways to work on stuff when he's in his little play thing, you know, even if it's 10 minute intervals, like just work. But I also make, I say like, okay, once my partner comes home from work, I'm done. And that's really hard. I yeah. do get a lot less done, but I know in the long run, I'm going. I'm not gonna. He's not gonna be eight months forever. Yeah. And so I, I know I'm gonna look back and 
the memories I'm going to think about are going to be all three of us like playing with him and his little plaything rather than me working on a paper that will be meaningless in 10 years. Oh, and, and so, <laughs> and so it just got real. yeah, and so I think that in making time for people who also have families or children, mm. um, making time for your partner, but also for your, your family, so your partner and your children, that doesn't involve you like trying to multi the worst thing you could do is try to multitask and say okay well i'm working on something and my partner's next to me so we're spending yeah. time together mm -hmm. because in therapy what i learned is that's what i thought my partner that's what i considered us spending time together was me reading while he was watching tv or me working on stuff and i was like oh but we're watching tv and my partner would say, we only watch TV so that you could do that. That's not what I wanted to do. That's not uh -huh. how I wanted to spend our time. It just, that's what we did so that you could get work done. And I don't count that as spending time with you. And the whole, for like two years, I was like, oh, I thought uh -huh. that was us spending time. Yeah. So just like in terms of communication and making time, like making sure you both are aware of checking in and saying, how are you doing? Like, is, am I spending too much time on this? Do I need to scale it back? Mm -hmm. What will work for you? Yeah. That way everyone's on the same page and you don't go like four years in and realize, oh, my partner's trying to hate me because I'm just like being really selfish because graduate school can make you really self-absorbed. Yeah. And it's it not your fault, yeah, it's not. but that's just what they demand of you. Yeah. And you have to be the one that like steps outside of that and says, I'm not gonna, I'm only gonna dedicate this much because yeah. you, if you let it, it can consume your life. Yeah. And after like five years, you know, it's like, I've put so much time into this, I have to keep putting more yeah. time into it. Like yeah. you can't, it's like, no, I can't ease up now because yeah, I've yeah, made yeah. it so far, you know? I think it would also be good, maybe next week or the week after at some point we can do one on like family. Yeah. Like, so like, I mean, your family is here, my family is in another state, but like, that comes with, you know, challenges yeah. as well. Like, they have expectations. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that wraps up our episode 21. Thanks so much for listening. Yeah, if you have any questions, feel free to email us at woke.ishpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at wokeishpodcast. We always try to give you uh, videos and share things that we think are relevant and funny or that we want to talk about. So feel free to comment under our links and our videos and to send us any messages. We, you know, also open to collaborating with anyone. So if you, oh, ha yeah. if you have a podcast or if you want to be on ours or want us to be, you know, it, and it doesn't have to be both of us. It could be either of us whatever you know we'd be more than happy to just share ideas and talk to you so yeah you. oh and so we are thinking about having like something live and we really want to know where people are yes. located so yeah. we know what city um to have like a show at so if you are interested in seeing us in person um be sure to send us a dm or an email and let us know what city you're in yeah um so that we can schedule something yeah um yeah so thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you next week bye bye